Hello. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. Suddenly have all kinds of problems with what they just heard because if this was the fate awaiting Peter, what did that mean for them? If you're worried about an event that's coming up or you have real fears for your future and someone says to you, don't worry, it'll be fine, how do you respond? If you're anything like me, you might be thinking a good slap is in order. That's not the way Jesus worked. With his crucifixion imminent, his disciples were worried for the future. Jesus sincerely tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. What gave him authority to make such a statement? Maybe you need to hear those words from Jesus too. Let not your heart be troubled. I invite you to stay tuned as we join Dr. Corbett now. We are now going to continue to pray and ask God to speak to us now as we go through God's Word, looking at the Gospel of John, the last Gospel, the Gospel of Belief. So let's pray. Father, help us now to have ears to hear. Give us eyes to see what you would have us see in your Word. Help us to understand and help us to live out in obedience what we now take from your Scripture. I pray for this, and I pray for those who are joining with me, no matter where they are or when they are joining. In Jesus' name, amen. As we have a look now at chapter 14 of John's Gospel, we are in the upper room. Jesus, just to give you some background, has been very aware now his hour has commenced. As a realization of this... In this upper room where the disciples have prepared the meal, he dismisses Judas. Judas goes out. The disciples are unaware of why Judas has gone. They, the speculation was that perhaps he was going to tend to the poor. The reality was, and Jesus knew it, he was going to betray him. We've seen that in that room, Jesus knew that there was more than just his 12 disciples with him, that an evil presence had also entered. Almost certainly, in fact, absolutely certainly, Jesus knew who that other being was who had entered into, in the night, had, at the night of this dinner, had entered had gone from putting a temptation before Judas where Judas entertained that temptation and the scripture says that Satan had filled Judas. So Jesus says to him, go and do what you have to do. It's an interesting discussion that follows because Peter swears undying allegiance to Jesus. And Jesus, knowing what was about to happen to him, says to Peter, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. And Peter is mortified. He says in verse 38 of the previous chapter, "Will in response to Jesus, will you lay down your life for me? Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus asks him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now with that, the room went very silent. 
The remaining 11 disciples suddenly had a chill that went through them. And this led these younger disciples to Peter, clearly less courageous than Peter, suddenly have all kinds of problems with what they just heard. Because if this was the fate awaiting Peter, what did that mean for them? And so now we we pick it up in John chapter 14. In fact, the remainder of what Jesus is saying is being addressed in this upper room experience where it, it will go from essentially dialogue where the disciples are asking questions. If you have a red letter edition Bible, you'll notice there is a lot of red. The only black bits generally in this section now are going to be John the narrator giving readers a little bit of insight into what's going on. So with that in mind, the disciples have just heard Jesus tell Peter that he was going to deny him, and and they are now troubled. (laughs) They are deeply troubled. And so we read in John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, the disciples at this point have little idea what Jesus is talking about. And I've mentioned this, that the Father had orchestrated what we might consider to be a spiritual veil over the eyes of not just the forces of evil, not just the powers that would be manipulated by the forces of evil, but even over his own disciples. And this is why John tells us that many of the things that Jesus said, the disciples just simply in that moment did not understand. And then John the narrator will say, but after Jesus had died and been resurrected, then we understood what he meant. So there is a progression here that's happening. But the disciples are now deeply troubled. Jesus just told them, don't be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And that belief, as we have seen, is not just believe what I can do, but put your faith in me. Trust me. Believe in me. And the interesting expression In my father's house, there are many rooms. In the old King James translation, it says, in my father's house, there are many mansions, which is an an unfortunate translation because it gives the impression that we're talking about uh, different large houses in, you know, disconnected from each other, when it's in fact exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Heaven is the father's house and the, the space where each follower of Christ will have their eternal dwelling place with Christ is described as a room in the Father's house. In other words, we won't be living in separate mansions, so to speak. And I guess partly because one day the sin that corrupts our thinking, the sin that causes us to fear, the sin that causes us to not want allow others to get close to us or for us to get close to them, one day that will be completely gone and we will be able to love 
without fear for eternity. And that describes the Father's house. And I hope to show you that you should long for that house. You should long to see your eternal destiny being with Jesus in that eternal house that Jesus calls his Father's house. So what we have here is the disciples are just puzzled. What Jesus, what do you mean? And so we, we read in verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And this is a statement that Christ is making of his perfect union with the Father. His perfect union, his unity with the Father. He was not the Father. The Father spoke to him. He heard his Father. He was in constant communication with his Father. That right there tells us that they were two persons, the Father and the Son. And Jesus is now going to talk about the other eternal person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, whom he will call the Comforter, the Paraclete, the one who comes alongside. But right now, Thomas has asked this question. Jesus has given an answer. And, and Philip is going to pipe up because they still don't get it. So it says in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, there are some people that would say this is Jesus saying that he was the Father. But as we read this text, we realize that's not what it's saying at all. He is saying, as I've mentioned before, in perfect unity with his Father. He was so close to his Father that he reflected his Father this is what Jesus was saying to the disciples, particularly now to Thomas and to Philip. If you've seen me, and not just clearly Jesus is not just talking about physically seeing someone, but seeing who they really are. How do you know what someone's like? You know what they're like when you see them under pressure. And right now we are beginning to see Jesus under pressure. And we know that because in the previous chapter, it says that Jesus was deeply troubled. He knew. He knew that his hour had come. He knew what that meant. And he was deeply troubled in his soul. So reassuring his disciples, you have no need to be troubled. I'm going to bear all of the trouble. And that's essentially what he's saying. And Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm going to make a way 
for you to come into relationship with my father, just as I'm in relationship with my father. We are all, Augustine said, created with a God-shaped vacuum that only God himself can fill. Some people go through life. They go through life so lonely and they think their loneliness is the cause of disconnection from other human companionship. When almost certainly at the root of every lonely person's loneliness is a disconnection from God. Jesus could be alone, but never lonely. Only on the cross did he experience loneliness in the sense of being disconnected from his Father. But there are people today who live permanently disconnected from God the Father. And Jesus right now, in this appointed moment, is calling you to come home. Come home. Turn around and ask God to save you. So we have Jesus here telling Philip and Thomas and the other disciples, the way that I'm going to make for you will be because I'm going to die for you. But that's not the end. I'm going to conquer death. I am going to be raised up three days after I've died. I will completely conquer death. There's more that Jesus did in dying for us, in conquering sin and death when he rose from the grave. He also ascended and returned to his father. He's going to refer to that in this upper room discourse, this upper room discussion with his disciples when he says, I go to my father. That's what we call the ascension of Christ. He ascends that word goes up. He goes up in the sense that he will be glorified and we will see as they leave this upper room and go out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Judas knew they would be, that Jesus prays, Father, return your glory to me. Give me back my glory that I've had with you since the foundation of the world. So the, the disciples are going to see Jesus say, I'm making a way for you to come into the same kind of relationship that I have with the Father. I will make the way and you can come in. And today he says that to us too. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, no matter who knows what you've done, you can be forgiven. You may feel like you're a million miles away from God. You may feel so estranged. You may feel like no one cares. But God cares. He sent his son to die in your place to make a way for you to come back home and to come into relationship with him. It's not a matter of being religious. It's a matter of turning to Jesus in prayer, turning to the Father in prayer. So Jesus is saying that he's going to go before his disciples and make a way. And that way would be made possible because of the cross. That's what would happen. So whoever has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father because Jesus perfectly reflects the Father. And you don't have to be troubled about this, he's telling them. He goes on in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. There's the ascension. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow, that right there is a promise worth remembering and holding on to. No matter what you've done, Jesus has made a way and he promises that once you come into the a union of your soul with his, your heart belongs to him. When you give your heart to him, we use that word heart to mean the very core of who you are. You come into a relationship with him where you could ask him for anything. But here's the good news. Unlike the man who found the genie bottle on the beach and rubbed it and asked for three wishes, and each of those wishes satisfied his desires, his lusts, his wants. When our heart belongs to God, when our heart is given over to Christ, our heart desires change. And I want to show you what happens with our heart desires, especially when we are under pressure. We read Jesus saying in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That will be how our hearts will be transformed. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, a comforter, a counselor, an advocate. These are all the words that could be translated into English from this word paraclete. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And this is the difference between having the Holy Spirit with someone and that person being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus has just said. You know him, for he dwells with you. But the time will come after I go to my Father, where he will be not just with you, but in you. Jesus says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Now, clearly, Jesus is not talking about with our eyesight, but he's talking about seeing in the sense of knowing and understanding and having an awareness of him and his presence. You can see the Father at work in the same way, Jesus said, as you can see the wind at work. Because I live, Jesus said, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or reveal or show myself to him. Judas, and John the narrator tells us, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, 
how is it that you will manifest yourself to us but and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him, and or we will come to him, and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So here we have the clearest indication of what a transformed life looks like. It looks like a heart that says, God, have your way in my life. I want to do what you want. I want your will done in my life. Praying for God's will to be done. Praying for God to, ha- to give you the strength to obey the word of Christ is one of the surest indications that your heart has been transformed. And Jesus says, I will be in you. This is wonderful. <laughs> this is glorious. Now in this life, there's so many distractions. There's so many things that will keep us from being fully focused on Christ. Now, we shouldn't think that the duties that we have to earn a living or to work or to look after our responsibilities, such as a mother with her children or a father to go to work or whatever it is, is going to hinder us from having a relationship with God because Jesus says, I'll be in you. When you go to work, I'll be in you. When you go to play golf, I'll be in you. When you go to a restaurant with your wife or a wife with her husband, I will be in you. Everything you do, I will be with you and in you, and you will be in me. When Christ lives in you, you see the world differently. You see people differently. You have different priorities. You have a hunger for his word. You have a hunger to talk to him. And you have a burden for others to come to know him as well. As we read through this passage here in John 14, we see the incredible burden that Jesus himself had that each one of these disciples would come to know his father as he knew his father. And that burden still echoes through the universe now. Jesus longs for you to come to know his father. You can. You're just one prayer away right now. One prayer away. And you can know the Father. These things, Jesus said, I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. Wow. Wow. These things, his word, he's given to us. It's recorded in the Gospels. Even that, if that's all we had, that would be profound. But listen to what Jesus says. When the Holy Spirit comes, he says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And here it is again, Jesus bookending this injunction to his disciples Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, 
I'm going away. And I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Wow. We can just see the love that Jesus has for his Father. We can see the incredible longing to be reunited with his Father. Yet at the same time, to love those who are there with him right now. That love that Jesus has, that love that Jesus had for his original disciples, he still has for every human being who has ever lived. It's an amazing thing that God's love can never be exhausted. Every parent knows this. When you have a child, you think, how could I ever love another being as much as I love this child? Then you have another child and you discover you can. And Kim and I are blessed with four children. We love them equally and we love them without favoritism and we love them with everything we've got. And the father loves each person as his child even more than that. But yet, some people have not accepted their readoption back into God's family. And I'm inviting you to right now. I'm inviting you to say yes to God the Father when he says, I want to adopt you as my own. I want you to come home. Will you receive what he's offering you now? Full adoption as a son or a daughter. In this moment, we see Jesus is deeply distressed. We've seen that he knows what's going to happen. He knows the sufferings that are about to happen. He knows the deep wound, that that sense of betrayal that he's about to experience from Judas as he goes into Jerusalem and fetches the temple guards to come and take Jesus away by force and chains and beatings and whatever else they have to inflict on him. Jesus knows this is going to happen. He knows what awaits him. Yet, hear what he's doing? He's loving those disciples that are faithful to him. He's longing for them to come to the knowledge that right now they can't fully comprehend because he has not yet been glorified. And he says, if you knew what was about to happen... You would rejoice with me because I'm about to be glorified. I'm about to give my Father great glory. But I mentioned Jesus also knew that in that room when Judas was there, the devil, Satan, entered that room as well and went into Judas. And he knows that when when Judas comes back, it will not just be earthly soldiers that are coming to get him but there will be spiritual forces there beings from that heavenly dimension who were once righteous who have now fallen into rebellion and they despise jesus and jesus knows how they could manipulate people to bring him great hurt he knows that so he's deeply distressed right now and can i say that what I see here is the only man who's ever lived 
who has fully and completely demonstrated perfect mental health. Perfect mental health. Here he's told his disciples, you will do greater things than I have done. This is astounding. The Holy Spirit would gift the believers to do works of miracles greater than that which Jesus did. I know some people say, oh, it's about numbers, but it can't be about numbers because he would have said that, but he didn't. Greater works, not greater numbers of works, greater works than these you will do. You will do. That's extraordinary what the Holy Spirit was going to do with the believers, but that wasn't all that the Holy Spirit was going to do. Not only would he empower them to do great miracles, he was about to empower them with a courage to withstand the forces of evil. And what do we see here? Jesus goes on, And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. There it is. There's Christ's mission in this moment of incredible distress. And this is actually perfect mental health. He's in touch with his emotions. He knows what's going on. But he also has the clearest grasp of reality of any person that's ever walked the planet. This is the last thing that John chapter 14 says, Rise! Let us go from here. And it sounds like he's saying, come on, let's stand up and let's get out of here. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying the enemy's coming. But we're going to arise to meet him in a moment. That is phenomenal mental health right there. And if you are struggling with your mental health, here is your greatest example of someone who had perfect mental health. And that is the God that you need to get to know right now. So what do we see here? Jesus displays the inner confidence that he had because his father had given it to him. And Jesus tells his disciples that they can have a similar confidence no matter what distress, no matter what pressure comes their way because he was going to send the Holy Spirit who would give them the courage and the boldness they would need in their time of distress. Before we pray, before we close in prayer, I want just again to invite you in this moment to surrender to God. Maybe you need the very Holy Spirit that Jesus has been talking about. Maybe you've been battling with your mental health and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you can't be unless you give your heart to Christ and obey him. Let's pray. Father, help us now, I pray, to be a people who will respond to your word, who will give heed to your word, who will ask for the grace, the help, the strength to obey your word. And Lord, I pray for those who are joining with me now who have never surrendered their life to Christ. Reach them. Reach them where they're at right now. Speak to them and draw them close to you. May a prayer arise in their heart that says, Dear God, have your way in my life. My life is a mess right now and I need your help 
to turn it around. Please, God, help me to live the way I should live. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee you, from this day forward, your life will be changed. So, Father, I pray for all who have joined with me now, that they would look to you and that you would fill them with the peace that can only come from knowing the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all the previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel Part 19 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, Jesus spoke with authority because he had authority. He knew the future and would send the Holy Spirit to empower believers. He had every reason to assure his disciples and us with those loving words, let not your hearts be troubled. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.